0: Wednesday everyone I am Joe Marcello joined as always by my partners in comic book crime Oren Phillips. Hey everybody. And Mike Farah. Good evening. This is the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast and today we are bringing you a whole lot of awesome. We're bringing you the man who is responsible for our childhood in many ways who spawned comic book uh toy lines, TV, movie. I mean, look, it, he this man worked on it all. He worked on none other than the Transformers. And when I say worked on it, he basically created ba- the names of all these characters in one weekend. Uh we're talking to none other than Bob Budiansky.
1: Yeah, and, it, and that's an amazing story into itself and for me finding out uh, personally that he was the the driving force behind the Marvel trading cards which uh growing up, I, I still have my set here. I show them to my kids, I cherish them. Uh I was just like, whoa, you you're probably the coolest guy uh, I've ever spoken to. Him.
2: Totally a jack of all trades. Uh yeah, cards, comics. Um, you know, those those power rankings on the back of the Transformers packages from the original. Uh he showed us his, I think his original basically spreadsheet on paper not on excel or anything where he was ranking everybody's uh different power sets and then basically like joe said i mean he came up with the personalities of the transformers in like a weekend and then that became you know the shows that became the comics the movies Uh, it's just an incredible story um so let's get to it this is bob Budiansky.
3: thank you so much for joining us oh my pleasure happy to be here
0: uh, now, before we barrage you with Transformers stuff, <laughs> and Oren, uh, you know, basically laid down the law for us on that, uh, we will get all the other questions out of the way first. First and foremost, though, how did you get started in the industry?
3: Well, I was uh, always interested in. I was always int- <laughs> I was always <laughs> interested in, in drawing comic books from a very early age. And um, so I was drawing my own little comics at home for years and years, you know, through elementary school or junior high school and so on. And then when I got to high school, I thought, this is not a practical career to think about, you know, becoming a comic book artist. I'm going to become a civil engineer. So I got a degree in civil engineering, which is, of course, the very first step in becoming a comic book artist, as you probably know. (laughs) Uh, No, not really. But anyway, all the time I was a civil engineering major, I also worked for the college newspaper as an artist. And eventually I became the graphic, the graphic arts editor. So we, you know, I, the newspaper came out three times a week. I have a lot of different illustrations. And um, you know, I got a little better, and I certainly had a, an aptitude for it and an interest in it. And eventually, when I graduated, the arts editor, which is basically the department that does the movie review, the arts editor, Jay Boyar, He graduated also, and he got an entry-level job at Marvel Comics. Um, And uh, he knew of my interest in drawing comics, so he invited me down to visit him during, uh, oh, I stayed for another year for grad school. So he he invited me down uh, to New York City to uh, visit him during the holidays and show my artwork to one of the art directors there. And uh, the art director, who at the time was uh, Marie Severin, um, fabulous artist, fabulous person. Uh, she looked at my work and very, very gently said, You should find another career. So, anyway, um, that was like the holidays of around 1975. Uh, so, fast forward about five or six months, Jay had, had to quit his job and take another job. Uh, and, something that was more up his alley. He didn't want to stay in comic books. He wanted to become a movie reviewer, which he eventually did. And um, anyway, he said, why don't you interview to replace me uh, as editorial assistant in the Marvel British department? Um, And so while I was still at college, which was up in in Buffalo, New York, uh, I got on the phone with my future boss, Larry Lieber, who you probably know is, you know, a legend and Mm -hmm. Stan's brother. And I got on the phone with him for about a half hour and I had, Jay Boyar and a couple other guys I had met down there, you know, vouching for me. And after a half hour phone call, I got the job. So I dropped out of grad school. Uh, it was the end of the semester anyway, so it was good timing. Uh, I got dropped out of grad school, and the, that was on a Wednesday. And the following Monday, I started working as editorial assistant in the Marble Bridge department. Oh, and also, Jay warned me don't tell Larry that you want to become an artist. Because says, if you tell him you want to become an artist, he won't hire you. If he doesn't want somebody that's going to quit on him. So I did not mention it during the interview, but as, as soon as I got there, I made it clear I wanted to become an artist. <laughs> and Larry was very helpful, and I got a lot, of, a lot of sketch work to do, like doing sketches for other artists to do uh, finished artwork from. And the art director for the British department was Maurice Everett. And she could not have been a better teacher and more generous with her with her advice and her time in, in helping me become a professional artist. She was terrific to work with. And I'm sure she had no memory whatsoever that, you know, five or six months earlier, she had basically told me to take a hike. Um, because I'm sure I'm sure all the time people like myself came up and were introduced to her and showed their samples. And she had to figure out ways to tell them, you know, try something else, you're not going to make it. Here. So um, I was just another one in that parade at that time. But anyway, that's how I got my start. And
1: over time, you, you did start to do pencil. You got to pencil uh, Ghost Rider. Yes. Uh, what were your thoughts on the book before you got into it? Did you like the artistic
3: direction of it, or did you, were you sort of on the fence? Well, I wasn't really a Ghost Rider fan. I mean, to, to be, let, me, let, me, let me pull back just for a moment. So my interest in Marvel Comics at that time, when I was, when I was a kid, I, I read lots of comics. I read at first I started out with DC comics and I moved over to Marvel and I read all the, you know, like all of the mainstream Marvel comics like uh, fantastic four and Spider-Man were my favorites and some Daredevil. And, you know, that was pretty much it pretty much for my Marvel collecting. But, um, but then by the time I got to high school, I dropped comics, comics completely. And it wasn't until I got to college that a friend of mine also in the civil engineering, civil engineering department, who was also a good artist, um, introduced me to some comic books I was completely unaware of. And the the one that really astounded me that I was just kind of floored because it was unlike anything I had experienced when I was collecting, you know, five years previously was Conan the Barbarian. I had never seen anything like it in comic books and I was, I loved it and the artwork was wonderful and the stories were great. And I just, I just, you know, really got into it. So when I came to Marvel, it wasn't like I was reading all the Marvel, you know, superhero books or horror books or whatever. I was, I was into Conan and I got into Warlock, uh, you know, Jim Starlin's Warlock and so on. And um, so I wasn't like collecting everything. So I got to Marvel. I, I knew of Ghost Rider, but I wasn't really reading Ghost Rider. So, so yeah, I wasn't paying that much attention to it. So what happened with me was um, I became the Ghost Rider cover artist long before I became the interior artist, which is a really odd thing. Usually, especially for a young artist, you don't get to do the covers of a book that you're not drawing. Uh, But I did. So, um, so I didn't really, you know, I didn't really dwell on so much what was inside the book. I was just happy to get the cover assignments for a couple of years before I got the interiors.
1: And were you allowed when you did start to get the interiors to put your own spin on what the character looked like, or did you sort of have to stick with how it's been
3: done in previous issues? I, I think uh, I was encouraged to, to when, when I took over the book as a interior artist, it was, it was given a soft reboot. I don't know if you realize that. Mm-hmm. But with issue, I think, 68, we redid the origin. I mean, we, we, it wasn't like a completely new origin. We just retold it. Mm-hmm. So it was, like I said, it was a soft reboot. It was like, in case you haven't been following Ghost Rider last few years, here's what you need to know, starting with this issue. We have a new writer, new artist. New look. So nobody told me to like copy what was done before. And in fact, because I was the cover artist for a couple of years, I had already kind of established a look anyway, you know, so I was able to cut. And and Jim Shooter, who was editor in chief at the time, uh, he actually went to one of our um, uh, colorists on staff who was into model making Mm -hmm. and had him build and had that and hired him to um, build me a model of of a Harley Chopper. So I could have a model, you know that this is his new bike, this is his new motorbike, this is the look we want. So you know, I was given like a, you know, start a new direction, you know, refresh the character. I still have that model somewhere, or pieces of it anyway.
1: That's pretty. How important was it to you, uh, as an artist, to get that soft reboot? said To be like, okay, you know, clean slate. This is where we're going to go and going. Oh, it's
3: great. It's liberating. You know, like you, you know, you don't have to worry about. I mean, I certainly referred to, um, especially since it was a retelling of the origin story. I certainly re- referred to uh, relevant issues, like the first mm-hmm. issue, the one that uh, I guess Mike Plug originally did. So I was looking at uh, what he had. I'm going to turn off something here. <laughs> I I'm, I, um, I was looking at what he had done before as reference. Yep. and his work was wonderful.
1: And. When it got uh, rebooted again in the late 80s, early 90s, and then uh, I think Mark uh, Teixeira starts taking over it and it has a whole different look. Did you like... Well, the new, it was a different character, too. Right. Did you like that more demonic uh, vibe? It's in a spirit? different
3: direction. You know, I mean, yeah. Mark's a terrific artist, so I don't want to... I don't I don't want to say I did it one way and he did it the right. other way and one one's better than the other. It's like, you know, he has a new character, new writer. This mm-hmm. is what they're going for. It looked great. I thought he did a wonderful job. He and... Yeah. Javier Saltaris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were, they were tremendous on that book.
1: And the, the other thing I wanted to ask about was, and <sighs> it was something my buddy t- told me about a couple of years ago, and I just sort of got fascinated with it was Quest Probe. Yes. So you're given, you're part of it, you're editing the books, and the idea is here's a video game, a computer video game that's made a deal with Marvel, and we're going to try to combine them into the books and create, you know, a little story to get folks into the game and, Uh, reading the comics as well when you hear the idea did you think it's something that could
3: work pretty well or were you sort of on the fence about it first of all you explained that very well thank you (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate it you you can keep going if you would like but anyway um, (laughs) i was special projects editor uh starting around 1986 so what that meant was that at that time marvel was being like inundated with all sorts of uh, outside companies coming to us and saying we want to partner with you, we want you to develop this product into a comic book, you know, mainly to help sell their product, not to help sell comic books. But you know, the, the collateral effect is that we can hope, hopefully, sell comic books like we did with GI Joe and Transformers and Star Wars and so many other properties that Marvel licensed in that era. So um, this is just another one of those. So I I don't remember all the specifics about it, but we just try to do our best with. You know, here's what we're given. make a story out of it, uh, make it appealing to an audience. and if if the um, if the computer software had taken off the the games that were connected to Questro had taken off, the comic book would have you know done tremendous, but I don't think the comic book, I don't think the computer software ever became a huge hit. Right. Uh, but it was very it was a very early experiment in uh, in using superheroes in uh, computer games. I believe. So were
1: you surprised that after three issues, they either ran out of money or something happened and you just sort of had to do a cold stop.
3: Having worked on a lot of different special projects of this nature where we were partnering with some outside company to promote their product, mm-hmm. none, of, none of that surprising because a lot of them just you know hit a wall for whatever for all sorts of reasons they just never went any. and then others took off.
1: How, how tough is it for you though to try to do something creatively with the comics and with this outside uh, company that meets their needs? Okay, she
3: has to come back in. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. I don't know she she barked and then she disappeared into the dark. <laughs> She'll come back anyway. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Now, I'm just saying, how difficult is it to come up with something that meets a comic book's needs, meets this other company's needs, and is entertaining at the same time?
3: It's, um, you know, it's what I did for a living. And I, I also worked with a lot of talented people. I didn't do it all by, by myself. So I had a, I had a track record of doing that. I worked on Transformers. I worked on Visionaries. I worked on Air Raiders. I worked on NFL Super Pro. That was my job as as special projects editor. Some of them work better than others some of the ideas that we were handed, I thought were just, you know, outright ridiculous. How are we going to make this look, you know, how are we going to take this, uh, Sal's ear and make it into a silk purse or whatever, you know, it's like, but you do the best you can with what you're given. So, uh, I don't remember the very you know, specifics about Quest Probe. I'm sure it had, uh, at least some people who thought it was the most wonderful thing they ever saw. <laughs> and then there were other people who looked at it and say, eh, big deal. Who cares? So, um, but we did what we could, you know, we, cho- I mean, I took everything, you know, very seriously that that's what they're, that's why I was chosen to do this particular job. And we had, you know, I don't know if you, if we were, if I was a baseball player, maybe we had like a, you know, 300 average or 400 average. I mean, some things work better than others, you know, you know, but Marvel was willing to try. And um, sometimes we, sometimes Marvel at that time, would generate the idea and go out and try to find uh somebody to develop it for another medium like tv or or uh you know game or right yeah Yeah. so it worked both ways
2: so you know along the same lines our our podcast kind of has a morbid curiosity with nfl super pro Uh, Okay, <laughs> and we ask anybody who's even tangentially involved with that comic book about about its creation and um, and you know basically its impact or lack of impact on comics <laughs> going forward. But um, could you tell us a little bit more about how that came about and you know what it was like, sort of wrangling the talent into place? I, I we heard from Fabian, for instance, that the artist had no idea anything about football the american football um right. if that's the case and um and that you know fabian you know was sort of negotiating back and forth how many issues he would do and so, sort of it was kind of a hot potato if you will of uh, trying to get yeah, from out.
3: argentina how much does he know about
2: america <laughs> yeah i think he probably admit that as well <laughs> So, um, so just curious, your your experience having a, at the editor or editorial level, you know, um, who brought you into the project, and then how did you figure out how to, you know, make that work or try to make that work with, you know, the the, the tools that you're uh, at your disposal.
3: So, just I'm just going to back up to something you said a little earlier, which is you know, how that come about. So, you have to understand that all these deals with these outside companies. Are not generated with an editorial. They're generated at an upper management level from our, you know, the publisher at the time or somebody else in the company making these deals. And then eventually they trickle down to editorial The we ones have to produce the comic books. So I don't know how the deal came about, but I'm sure whoever made the deal at Marvel was very excited at the prospect of doing anything with the National Football League. And, and I have to say, honestly, I thought the whole idea was ridiculous to take a guy. I mean, you know, on one level, all comic book superhero characters are ridiculous. Are these people, these men and women running around in these colorful, silly costumes, right? Mm-hmm. But here you're taking somebody who's already in a costume, you know, in a football helmet with pads. And then you say, Oh, in addition, he's a superhero. <laughs> um, it, 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 it just, there were too many, um, uh, suspensions of disbelief for even me who grew up with comic books. Uh so I don't remember, you know, why uh, why this person worked on the book so much or or why the, the character developed in this particular way. But we we developed him as well as best as we could, uh, given that limitation that he has to be a football player and he has to run around in a football uniform. And we did what we could with it. Um, I will say that the best thing that came out of it was I got Super Bowl tickets. So that's, oh, that's pretty damn.
0: There you go. <laughs> that's um, that would work. Yes.
2: Yeah. Any yeah. stories left on the shelf for a Super Bowl,
3: a Super Pro revival? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've, I've often gotten asked, but not about not about NFL Super Pro specifically, but about other books I worked on. Like, did you have any stories that you wanted to tell that you never got around to telling, or you know, like if I did, I forgot about them. You know, thirty years <laughs> ago when I stopped working on the book, I <clears> I don't <throat> sit around dwelling on oh. I'm still want to do that story from 1989 <laughs> or something. It's just, it's so
0: we hard. won't be seeing Super Pro and the Doctor Strange multiverse of madness in any way. Good,
3: good. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think uh, Marvel... That
0: would be, Marvel be Marvel. the ultimate Easter egg.
3: Marvel would have to work out a licensing agreement with uh, the National right. Football League since they'll op- they op- they op- they <laughs> open
0: the character. They're printing money. They could do it.
2: <laughs> and also, they have the perfect vehicle, and also the perfect um, uh, transition to "What If." Right? <laughs> what If? Super Pro.
0: You know, Mike. Thank you for bringing still, that up. Still
3: super pro. <laughs> you're welcome, Joe. I just watched the Marvel Zombie episode last night.
0: Well, that yeah. was going to be my next question. So you you <laughs> had a chance to work on "What If" number thirty
3: four. Yes, that was my first full full comic book that I drew.
0: When you're presented with a "What If." What goes through your mind?
3: Well, at that time, what went through my mind was Marvel finally gave me an entire book to, to, to illustrate. That's all that I was thinking. Like, this is the first time. I mean, up until then, I was getting these like little mini assignments or, you know, like uh, doing a, a splash page for a British comic book reprint or, uh, you know, I don't you know, all sorts of odds and ends. So by at this point, Marvel trusted me to do a full length comic book. So I didn't really care that it was a what if story. I was just mm-hmm. excited to have the opportunity, and that comic book led to me getting Ghost Rider
0: eventually. Okay.
3: So it was, you know, it was good is a stepping stone. That's all. Okay. So I yeah. Really, you know, I wasn't like, oh, they didn't give me uh, Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man to draw on a monthly basis. They're only giving me what if, you know, which doesn't count, but it's only a what if story. Okay. I was just really excited for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, you know, I you make a the comment you just made, it doesn't count. I think, you know, it really, certainly nowadays, everything counts in one way, <laughs> one way or another. And they quite frankly have been able to, to, to do that. Even things that have been what ifs or else worlds in DC's case, mm-hmm. they're all part of continuity now. So, you know, to say that it was, you know, it didn't count at one point, I think at some point or another, it will come back around and it will be yeah. part of continuity. So, well, um, oh, I, I
3: wasn't. I wasn't making a statement that it didn't count. I was saying. No, no, I, 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 I get I you. Have, I could have looked at it that way, but all I looked at it was like this is a great opportunity for.
0: Me. Yes, no, I, I completely understand what what you, where you're coming from on that, but I just you know a lot of people take that that stance when it comes to those types of storylines, mm-hmm. but uh, I think they're 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 fascinating. I mean, the one you did was was great, uh, and they're all fun, and they're they're what they're supposed to be. Like, let's take the characters you love and turn them on their head and, you know, do whatever we want with them. Um, how do you think, uh, what do you think you mentioned? You saw the, uh, the, the zombie episode. How do you think Marvel's doing with those, uh, those episodes, uh, currently?
3: Um, I, I think they're uneven. You know, I think some episodes work better than others. Yeah. So, uh, I actually like, I actually like the zombie. Episode.
0: Oh, I thought the zombie one was great. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're really fun. Um, in that same vein, is there any characters that you would like to have really sunk your teeth into in that sense? You know, maybe as pertains to a what if type issue or maybe, you know, any other storyline for that matter?
3: Um, well, I guess at Marvel, I, I would have always loved to have risen to the level of drawing Spider-Man on, on a regular basis. But I took myself out of the running from that by becoming a full-time editor. <laughs> like a, I was, after Ghost Rider ended, I did a few more is- issues of um, some other books, freelance, and then uh, Jim Shooter offered me a full, a full editorship. So I took that instead. So, yeah, you know, it was a choice I made, but, uh, and I did draw a little bit of Spider-Man here and there, but not much. Um like so a cover here, a couple of covers. Uh, so, and yeah, that was, that, you know, if i if i had risen to that level where i'd be like the hot the hot flavor of the month for spider-man you know got Um, it real happy but i never made i never allowed myself the opportunity really so that's fine you know i made i I made other choices
2: so a couple more questions before we take our big transformers dive um (laughs) one is you just alluded to you know what was sort of the majority i would expect of your career or at least a certain significant chunk which is your editorial work um i'm curious if there are particular uh moments issues storylines that jump out as being you know uh ones that are highlights for you uh during your
3: editorial run Well, so my, my editorial career was not like most editors which is originally i was hired to be what one might call a mainstream editor. So my, my first few, my first, among my first few books that I was given on a regular basis to edit included a uh, fantastic four. Can't get more mainstream than that, Daredevil, um, uh, Marvel and uh, uh, the thing. I'm not sure if I got Marvel two and one, which evolved into the thing, the thing. So, but within a year or so, again, Jim Shooter because of other work I was doing with Jim, especially specifically on Transformers, um, he decided he wanted a special projects editor and asked if I would if I would take that job. And I I was really happy to take it. I mean, I like the the mainstream books, but I like the idea of being able to create new stuff that wasn't in, that wasn't like uh didn't have, didn't have its feet in concrete of Marvel continuity. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to worry about all that stuff. I could just make up new stuff. And do whatever i feel like so it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a real act of freedom to take that uh, position when it was offered to me and i liked it so um when you say like which books you know like i would i mean i would say like the projects that i really cared about the most when i was a special projects editor was um oh becoming the editorial overseer of the marvel trading cards starting in 1990 i i was in charge of 11 sets of cards over a five-year period that was great Um, what else initially working on transformers as an editor before i became a writer Uh, there was a lot of headaches involved with that but i still liked working on it Um, working on marvel the marvel retail poster program so for many years i was in charge of all the posters that were for sale at the comic book shops. I was the one who, who was coming up with the ideas and working with the artists and working on uh, designs for those posters. So the, a lot of things that were behind the scenes that don't have my name on it, but I was involved, heavily involved with, um, that, that were you know very stimulating as an editor to be part of. Um, the books that I edited prior to me jumping ship and becoming special projects editor, I worked with John Byrne on Fantastic Four. It was okay. I worked, um, the, the Daredevil I worked, the Daredevil I worked on are nothing, I don't think, nothing historic or memorable, other than the fact that I hired David Mazzucchelli to be the regular Daredevil artist, you know, you know prior to him working with Frank Mill. So I didn't get in on that, but I did hire David, and he was terrific to work with. He was a phenomenal artist. So um, well, those are among some of the more memorable, happier projects I worked on.
2: Um, I have to sort of jump in, tan- go on a slight tangent because you mentioned the trading cards. I'm wondering about the X-Men set with, uh, Jim Lee, uh, or did he do the entire universe? He, right, he, did, he did the
3: X-Men set. He right? did the X-Men yeah, did.
2: set, right. Um, <laughs> did he offer to do that? Cause I, I know he's spoken in the past about this being sort of a humongously stressful (laughs) job. Um, Did he offer to do that? Or were were you saying we're looking for an X-Men set for one artist to do the entire, the entire character run? Well,
3: the way it came about was we had some, we meaning Marvel and Impel, which was the uh, trading card company at the time. Marvel and Impel had such enormous success the first two years with the first Marvel Universe set in 1990 and then the second one in 1991, that in 1991, we made plans with Impel to expand to three sets a year. So 1992, uh, this, the, the agenda was we're going to do uh, a, 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 a character or team focused set, another Marvel Universe set and a higher premium quality set, which became the uh, Marvel Masterpieces by Joe Jusko. Right. So that was quite a year, 1992. Um, So it was immediately decided, well, X-Men is the obvious choice. There was no book, there was no book or line of books hotter in 1992 or 1991. When we were talking about this than X-Men and there was no artist who was hotter than Jim Lee who had just taken over as the regular artist in X-Men a few months earlier. So my, inclination was to ask if Jim Lee wanted to do to, to the entire set before I, before I went to the usual path, which was to ask a whole bunch of different artists to do a few cards a piece, as we had done with uh, the first two uh, Marvel Universe sets. So, be, and, and and to be um, polite about it, Marvel editors didn't, po- didn't usually poach talent from other editors without talking to the other editor first. So I went to Bob Harris, who was the editor of the, of the X-Men books, and I said, he said, okay, if I ask Jim. And he was very stressed. Bob Harris was very stressed out about it because he has to get a monthly book out. Uh, it's not an easy book to draw. It's not a one-character book. Uh, but he knew Jim was the right artist to do it. You know, he, he knew that he was the perfect person to do the X-Men at that point. So he said, okay. So I asked Jim, and Jim agreed. He was real excited to do it. And he was very stressed about it because he had to put, toge- he had to put together well, 100 cards, 100, 104 cards, actually. Illustrations were 104 out of, out of 105 cards without the checklist. And um, plus, get out a monthly book. But he did it. He was able to do all of it. So he did it. And he did a phenomenal job. The cards look great. And, and by I the way, it's, there's a lot more I could tell you about that particular set, but my publisher won't allow me to speak about it yet. Oh. Uh-huh. So right. Hint, hint. So anyway. Gotcha. <laughs> Talk about it off mic. <laughs> yeah. no, I can't even talk to you about it off mic. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Mike.
2: We'll just conjecture
3: about it off mic. But I will show you, <laughs> I will show you all of these books that my publisher sent me.
2: Oh, oh snap. snap.
3: And and you have to fill in the blanks after that. You know? Uh huh. Uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. Okay. More here, okay.
3: but you can't quote me on anything because I'm not going to say anything.
2: No, it's cool. We'll read between the lines. Yeah, that's cool. As it were.
0: <laughs> that's a nice reading material.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, go ahead.
2: Um, okay. So, last uh, thing, I, I know we <laughs> just keep going, sort of teasing this out, but uh, I did want to talk briefly about Sleepwalker, uh, which was, I thought, a very interesting title and came out at a time when uh, it seemed that Marvel, uh, there he is. That's, that's awesome. All. That's great. Wow.
3: Somebody sent me this a few uh, a couple years ago. That's awesome. Yeah, terrific. It's
2: like a trophy. <laughs> you, you won Sleepwalker. Um, <clears throat> uh, came out at a time when it seemed like Marvel was putting some sort of push on actually putting together new characters, new solo characters like uh, Sleepwalker and Darkhawk and, Dark Hawk and uh, new teams okay. like the New Warriors um, was there sort of this conscientious effort, and um, you know what? How, how did Sleepwalker then fit into that?
3: There was certainly an effort um, in the late '80s and early '90s. Uh, Marvel editorial was making a, a sincere effort to come up with new properties. You know, to I mean, we had just gone through the New Universe era, which came and went, and then. And mm-hmm. you know, the new universe was kind of a, a pocket universe separate from the Marvel universe. And so, when Tom DeFalco took over as editor in chief, he wanted to try to bring in some new ideas to Marvel, and in the form of new characters and so on. And so, the word went out, and actually, we formed a, um, uh, a what was it called? New projects, uh, new projects committee among like a few senior editors. I was actually in charge of it. And so we would get these ideas from different creators and we would, we would review them. And um, frankly, most of them didn't go anywhere. They just, they just didn't, they just were not well fleshed out or we, you know, we had problems with them. Um, uh, and I also, and then at the same time, some, or sometime during that period, I submitted the idea for Sleepwalker. Of course, I, I then recused myself from the committee. I could not judge my own character, but it went through that committee and it, it got, bumped upstairs to Tom DeFalco eventually editor-in-chief and he reviewed it and he asked for some, ch- uh, some changes, which I did to the treatment that I had written and eventually got approved along with, like you said, um, uh, New Warriors and Darkhawk and, you know, frankly, not too many people, not too many ideas made it through that process. Um, so, so anyway, I was very, I was quite flattered that my idea made it. And um, so for about almost three years, the book came out. Um, but you, did you have other questions about it? You, I think um, you were, well, the only
2: other theory. thing I would ask is because I think there was just <laughs> recently the beginnings of a Darkhawk revival. If uh, there was, again, anything sort of on the shelf or that could be sort of conjured up for a Sleepwalker revival if they. Well, I don't have anything on the
3: shelf. I know Marvel recently did a four issue Sleepwalker miniseries, I think, or something about I? Sleepwalker. I might have missed it. Yeah, like a year, a couple of years ago, I think. Um, yeah, I I don't have anything. Um, I did a one page sleepwalker for a special issue of the Marvel Marvel's uh What what was it called? Marvel 1000, I think. 1000 comics. There were one page stories in it, so I got a one page sleepwalker story that I wrote and wrote wrote and uh, and illustrated myself. So that was it for sleepwalker. Um, (laughs) and I hear he pops up here and there in books, but I don't know of any plans on Marvel's. Behalf that uh, they have to relaunch Sleepwalker. If they want to do it, they'll, you know, I, I think I've made it clear hey, if you want to do it, remember to, you know, here's my phone number, give me a call. <laughs> but, um, you know, so far they haven't gotten in touch with you. I don't know if you're aware that there's a Sleepwalker fan film that was made.
2: No. Well, I don't think so, no.
3: Okay. So uh, it came out last year. I was supposed to go to, I was supposed to premiere at a film festival in Tampa, Florida, live action. I was supposed to premiere, uh, on uh, march 20th 2020 which was five days after the lockdown began mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. got cancelled eventually it premiered in december uh, i think it was the same festi- same film festival but it was uh it was virtual i was going to fly down for the premiere i was going to be on a panel discussion so instead i was on a zoom panel discussion in december and um and it's available on youtube it's about a, it's almost a half hour long it's like so it's live action uses real actors, real ca- uh, camera operators, real sound people, real, I mean, real wardrobe people. The person who put it together um, is a real videographer. He does like industrial video. So he has certain, you know, talents in this area. And he was able to round up a crew of people in the Tampa, in the Tampa uh, area and get them to donate their time over several years to do this and it has special effects and it has a real sleepwalker. Oh, I, I, the poster is up there, uh, but I don't want to rip it down from my wall. Let me see if it'll peel off very easily, hold on. Uh, I'm getting it, okay.
2: If it's easier, I suppose you can try to move your computer or your
3: camera. I have a, la- I have a big uh, desktop. Okay. <laughs> Oops,
0: on. Oh wow! Oh yeah. yeah, that's a pretty cool poster. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's really neat.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a real professional cool job, and this is a real actor. I've seen him in movies. This, this guy. in the Yeah. Place.
2: Yeah. Um,
3: yeah. Oh, be great. So, um, and how was yeah. it? Yeah, they did a pretty good job with it. Oh, and they also um, a few years ago they flew me down to Tampa to do a cameo. I, I did my Stan Lee cameo. Nice. <laughs> so I got a movie too.
0: I just found the link online, so I can uh, I'll circulate yeah, it around yeah. and add a tour. To yeah, like Put it on the show. Notes worked, works, I think he's
3: working on episode two now. He wants to make it episodic.
2: Oh no! Oh, okay. Ah, okay. Really good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Other, throw the some the viewers day, your
3: way. The other day he texted me he says there's a i don't know how many of you all know are familiar with sleepwalker but there's a dog rick rick sheridan who's the human host of sleepwalker uh has a dog named Ram- name. rambo mm-hmm. so he texted me that this guy josh josh Knopfs, who's a guy uh, co-writer and director of the of the sleepwalker movie he uh texted me he says what kind of dog is rambo so i think he's casting rambo for the next movie <laughs> it's- I didn't have an answer for him. I said, "I was going to say, <laughs> I, what kind of dog is I, I, I said, I didn't dog. design the dog. That I, I, I was Brett Blevins, the artist. He came up with the dog. So He's I, got I, four I, legs. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look for one that will actually work
3: well with the cast. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> matter what breed. it could be right. a
0: little itty-bitty chihuahua, as long as he yeah. does what he wants.
3: Right, right. So. All right, so... Anyway, so... Yeah, fuckers in, in, in the movies now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. We're going to... Are we ready for our... Uh, Transformers transition. Do it. I think we we're are crazy
1: boys. I'm ready. Okay. Orange a Gobot um, guy, so yeah. he doesn't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, I wanted to start this line of questioning because it's 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 a little bit confusing to me, and hopefully you can shed. I know you can shed some light on it. But there was the the toys. There were besides the toys, there was a show, and then there was a comic. I'd love if you can take us a little bit through the chronology of those three um, expressions of the Transformers and how to the best of your memory, they kind of influenced each other. Because I know your comic, for instance, named some of the characters, which presumably had to happen before they were named in the show or even on the toys. And then you also worked on, Parts of the descriptions of the toys. So basically, how did that all work uh, chronologically, and did it, did they all just kind of mush together in some way uh, so that they all were affecting one another?
3: Well, I'll, I'll tell you what for, what it looked like from my point of view, which was like you know in the sub level basement of everything because I wasn't I wasn't up there with management making these deals and so on. So um, the way it worked was marvel had already established a relationship with hasbro from from developing gi joe a couple of years earlier so now G, now Mar- now hasbro had another toy that it wanted to develop and this is transformers and as you might know transformers originated as japanese as, as japanese toys that were put out mm-hmm. by bandai and takara uh, these, these, mechan- these mechanical toys that transformed from a robot form into some kind of other thing, like a vehicle, or a plane, or a car, or in some cases, a, an animal-like creature like a Jaguar. All right, so all that Hasbro uh, seemingly did was um, you know, license the, uh, these toys so that they could produce them uh, and call them Transformers. I wasn't part of that deal, obviously, between Hasbro and those Japanese toy companies. But at some point they came to Marvel and Marvel made a deal. Again, I have no idea of what went on through that that phase of the development of all of this. But eventually it trickled down to editorial and Jim Shooter, who was editor in chief at the time, um, initially wrote the treatment for it as part of his day job. Didn't make make an extra dime, but that original treatment that describes how the Transformers had this conflict going on between the Autobots and Decepticons on this world of Cybertron and came to Earth and continued their conflict. Jim came up with all that. I don't believe he came up with the names Autobots or Decepticons. Uh, that, I think that was given to him by Hasbro along with the word Transformers. But from there on, he came up with the original idea for the whole premise of the Transformers and, and, and what their world is like. You know. Uh, okay. So then he hired a senior editor at Marvel to develop the characters there were 20 originally there were 26 characters i think there were 12 decepticons and there were what would that leave but 14 14 autobox or something like that yeah something like that so that senior editor apparently again a lot involved apparently he turned in his work jim didn't like it and rather than go back to that guy who had a pretty good writing (coughs) resume and you know and you know, well, well regarded in many ways by comic book industry. Um, he didn't want to go back to him and have him further develop the book, you know, characters that his liking. So Jim, Jim then went down editorial, what we call editorial row, one office after another, desperately trying to find an editor with some writing background to develop these characters, because he was coming up against a deadline where he had to turn something into Hasbro. And so he went to, to Larry Hama, who uh, developed G.I. Joe and was a, became the G.I. Joe uh, writer. And he Larry turned him down and he went, went to a couple other editors who had writing backgrounds and they turned him down. And finally, out of sheer desperation, he came to me. And I had like no writing background. I was known as an artist editor, not a writing editor. And I said, sure, I'll do it. And so um, over a long weekend, and I remember specifically when it was because it was right before Thanksgiving of 1983. So. Like on Wednesday or Thursday of that week before, he gets a hold of me. I said, yeah, I'll do it. And I needed to do it by the following Monday before Thanksgiving so that Jim could get it to Hasbro before Thanksgiving. So I developed all 26 characters. I wrote profiles for them. I named all of them, except for two names that were kept from the previous writer, one of them being Optimus Prime. Uh, So I did not name Optimus Prime, but all the others in that initial um, batch of 26, I came up with. Uh, all the other 24 out of 26 I came up with over that weekend. Turned it in, Jim liked it, sent it on Sent it on to Hasbro. They liked it. And then for the next, so the spring of 1989, I stayed on with the book in one capacity or another. First as editor for the four issue miniseries, then as writer uh, through issue 55, with a couple of books that I missed, a couple of issues I missed because of deadlines. So, um, and throughout that time, I continued to develop all the characters or most of the characters that Hasbro kept coming up with like here are new toys we need names we need profiles so over that period of time from 1980 late 1983 through the spring of 89 I named about 250 Transformers and wow. I wrote all the um almost all the all the, the um copy that you see on the toy boxes I wrote yeah. during that period for those characters um, and uh you know, that, that's, that was my connection to it. So when I would turn in these profiles, you know, Hasbro would, would read them, they would approve them, they would have their legal department check on the names that I was recommending, but not every name was able to get through for legal reasons or whatever. But most everything got through. Um, and then um, once everything was approved, Hasbro would then share that information with Sunbow Productions. Sunbow produced the animated TV show. Mm-hmm. What Sunbow did with it, I have no clue, but that's why you see some of the same material as far as characters and their powers, perhaps, uh, appearing in the in the uh, in the animated show that you saw in the comic book. So it really originated with me, and then from there on, it went out to the you know to the masses, to all the various um, you know various tentacles that Hasbro had, and you know stretching out in different directions and uh what they did with it i don't really know was wasn't wasn't my issue anymore i just had to worry about coming up with new names new profiles and writing a comic book or so we're amazing yeah, yeah, I mean, so sort of sitting here. Like,
0: yeah, as you're talking, I'm like, wow. If my mother were hearing this, she'd be like, "You're the one to blame for all, him asking yeah, to yeah, buy all these I, toys."
3: I, I took, I helped take money out of your family pocket <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, Oh, it didn't come to me. I, yeah. I didn't make pay for <laughs>
2: it's one yeah. of my my questions. If you, yeah, yeah. I, didn't I, like make, I don't have any license.
3: I don't have any royalty deal, unfortunately. With uh, I, did. Yeah. I did get paid for my work, but it was a flat payment, and that was the end of it. So, oh, uh, I did get I did get this cool I did get this cool award. So, yeah, so I got I I did get awesome. Oh wow! Yeah, you're in the
0: uh uh was it like Ottawa? Transformers Hall of Fame? Transformers Hall of Fame. That's cool.
3: Enormous of... class. It only lasted, I think, two years.
1: Oh, well, you're still, in there. You're in it.
3: <laughs> um, so you know you're almost the... the only one in it. <laughs> no, no, no. The first For year my... it was um... Peter Cullen. With Peter Cullen and the two Japanese uh, primary toy designers. I don't remember their names. Okay. And, yeah. um, and me. I'll give it to them. And then the next year... Frank Welker, I think. I think Steven Spielberg might have been included in it because he was the executive Even. producer of the movie. So I like to think, oh, I beat out Steven Spielberg. That's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs>
0: How many people could say that? Yeah, right. right. Um, so you, you get to this point where, you know, Transformers takes off uh, in, in many ways. Was, do you know if if, you know... Was was the TV show influencing the comic, or was the comic influencing the TV show at this point? Well, I can say
3: with a hundred percent certainty that the TV show never influenced the comic book because I never I okay. never watched it. Okay. So okay, uh, I know the first year the TV show was was kind of earth based, like the comic yeah. book mostly was. Right. And then I think in the second year they went in a completely different direction, and Hasbro came to me and said, "Do you want to follow the you know what the TV shows?" Doing and I said, if I don't have to, I'd rather not. And they said, okay, you can continue doing what you're doing.
0: So basically, what I want to know is, who the hell decided to kill Optimus Prime?
3: In the, in the comic book? <laughs> no, I'm just
0: in the movie. That was a big deal when we were. Oh, kids. The movie.
3: When, I had when, nothing to do with the movie. No, I figured. Yes, I
0: figured. But, but uh, I
3: killed him off for a while in the comic book too. It's just like, oh, uh,
0: he's been killed a few it's times. Like one and, of those things you got. You know,
3: so I on.
0: remember reading a few articles. You know, where um, you know, obviously, people of our age. That was a big deal, you know, E.T. leaving and then Optimus Prime dying. You know, we got pretty uh, choked up. And um, but I remember throughout the years in the comic, you know, he died a few times. And, you know, of course, it's comic. So he comes back.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, oh, by the way, my, my
3: nephew proudly brags about the fact that he killed Optimus Prime in the comic book because the character who killed, like is it, he, he dies in a video as a result of a video game in the comic book. And there's a, there's a human character who's kind of. Uh, controlling the video game. His name is Ethan Zachary. So my nephew, Ethan Zachary, Buddy Anstey, is very proud of that fact that he's the one who did not Optimus Prime.
2: That's a resume builder. That, that is. is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what have you done with yourself while well, I killed Optimus Prime?
3: <laughs> I got away with it. Yeah.
1: Who the hell is
2: that? So like? uh, let me just uh, go back for a second and, and, and clarify that uh, because it's amazing to me that... Um, your work like that weekend preceded the actual toys coming out to market Is
3: oh, they had that to name them. they couldn't come out with no names on them right right they needed somebody to name them yeah
2: so you and and marvel to a certain degree did more for establishing the transformers universe than hasbro did itself it seems
3: oh yeah oh I would say Marvel, and I, I'm not saying just me. I'm mean, Obviously, Jim Shooter had a, a lot. Sure. Jim Shooter is really the unsung portion of... A lot of people know that I have a lot to do with Transformers, but Jim Shooter's role is so behind the scenes. As he's, as I heard him say once, it's, he just did it as part of his day job. He wrote this treatment, which everything is based from. It's amazing. So Jim Shooter That's... and myself, and, like, and mostly Jim Shooter, frankly, yeah, we... Ninety-eight percent of the Transformers world was built was built on what we developed back then in the eighties.
2: Yeah, and did you get a cameo in the movies?
3: No, <laughs> they don't get anything in the movies. You
2: know, were I you mean, in?
3: I, I guess my 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 biggest burn, I think, about the movies is like Bumblebee. The Bumblebee movie came out. I named mm-hmm. Bumblebee. I don't get mentioned in a credit or anything. Oh, yeah, yeah, Thank yeah, you.
0: That's a some... so sorry to so... say. That's some bullshit. <laughs>
3: Yeah, um, that's showbiz.
0: Yeah. and that was the best one. That really was. Yeah. It really that was. was. Really yeah,
3: it was,
2: really it
0: was mu- so good that they're that's the direction that they're going in for the the sequel. Yeah,
2: I wanted to talk a bit about the work you did on the actual toy boxes, or just coming back to the characters in general. So I remember, and I still have you know them in the basement, probably a amount that my wife doesn't want to know. Um, and I do remember these uh, red uh, sort of scanner types with the statistics. There were like these graphs on, was that also part of what you did or did you yeah. do sort of the pros? The,
3: the transformers. That was my idea. I didn't come up with a red cellophane, red cellophane. That was Hasbro's idea. You know, wow. they thought, Oh, like we'll make it more interactive. We'll, you know, kids will have to use this red cellophane to read the power ratings off the box. Yeah. Whatever. But, um, <laughs> basically I was, I was just copying what had already been established in the marble, uh, What's called Marvel Universe Encyclopedia, Marvel Handbook, of the, the Handbook of the Marvel Universe. Right. And Mark that former Marvel, ed, well, Marvel editor, uh, the late Marvel editor, Mark Grunwald. Grunwald. The, yeah. Which is, um, you know, to, to assign power ratings to all the Marvel characters so you could compare: is Hulk stronger than the Thing, and so on. And I just, I just took that same idea and I suggested it to Hasbro. And I actually, somewhere, I have a grid. It might be within arm's reach. In fact, let's see. Um, I have a grid on graph paper that I drew showing all the power ratings and how they, um, you know, how one character compared to another and, uh, liked it, you know, they said, yeah, let's go for it. So they incorporated it into all of the, uh, into all the boxes. So by the way, here's the original treatment right here from Jim Shooter. Wow. Wow. Transformers treatment. See it. Wow. <laughs> and um it's amazing. Oh, here, look, here it it civil is. war they rages are, on the planet. Here's of my Cybertron. Original handwritten on graph paper ratings chart showing all the transformers oh, and that's their awesome. power ratings. So you can see I have like strength. I'm trying to read it from the screen. Intelligence, so you, can, speed, so you guys are endurance, right? Wow. Something with that's so awesome campaigns.
0: that's pretty cool.
3: So these are these are my original handwritten notes. And um Oh, actually, I had the wrong number of uh, Decepticons. They were less than 12. That's, okay. the, that's that bottom section. It looks like about eight. Uh, <laughs> so so you guys anyway, how, the...
2: how arbitrary, I mean, it, it can't be completely arbitrary, but like, how did you, you were doing it from whole cloth. You, so you yeah, just kind of that was the decided fun part. as you were going.
3: That was the fun part. Oh, then Hasbro made a nice, neat, uh, a neat version of it, see? Yeah, oh, wow. So more you guys readable. are
0: playing D&D with the Transformers, basically.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was playing D&D back then. There, to... there you go. <laughs> there <explains laughs> the First paper. time I've admitted that on a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a podcast. So you have, you have an exclusive. There you go. Um, ah. Well, like, for instance, um, if, you, if you look at this more readable chart, like, look down at the, near the bottom, says Optimus Prime. So his mm. strength is 10. Right. And his That's endurance, true. his intelligence is 10. So, I, you know, like, certain characters you can benchmark like okay if he's going right. to be here then bumblebee's bumblebee's going to be way down there right. you know and then kind of fill in other characters in between but yeah it was all very arbitrary overall yeah. so, it was fun I, to rem-
2: do. I remember the same idea i think on at least one of the first sets of the marvel cards too looking on oh the
3: yeah map. and coincidentally and I those comparing well. them yes. <laughs> that was the yeah. coolest part about
1: them yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah Oh yeah, um, we 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 uh. What, the Marvel Universe One didn't have it, but Marvel Universe Two had it. Um, X Men, the Jim Lee set had a version of it with uh, using Cerebro. Um, yeah, we used that idea over and over again. And yeah. the kids loved it, so it worked. It was fun. Us yeah. kids, fun.
0: Yes, us <laughs> kids.
3: That was the whole. I mean, right. I can't I can't emphasize enough that was the best part of working at Marvel, which is whatever I did, I tried to make it fun. You know, fun for fun for me and fun for the people who would potentially want to buy these products. So, you know, whether, whether it was Transformers or Marvel trading cards, the whole idea, was, especially with trading cards, make it fun, make it like somebody picks that card up and gets real excited and wants to find out more about that particular character. And, uh, you know, I think generally um, I, you know, we did a good job, you know, getting that across.
0: Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, and taking to- money out
3: of, Joe's wallet. wallet.
0: He's still taking money (laughs) from (laughs) my wallet. And it's fine. Um, So, on a somewhat personal note, looking back on your career, what did you have the most fun doing?
3: Well, so I worked for Marvel for almost 20 years. So there were ups and downs, mostly ups. And even the downs were just downs relative to the higher ups, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I really enjoyed working on Ghost Rider, although that was really painful too. I was a very slow artist, so it, it, it took a lot out of me just to draw one issue. But it was still great to be able to work on it. I really enjoyed working on Trans, Transformers as the writer more, more than anything else. Uh, however, um, you know, I, I wrote almost 50 issues. And you know, after after the first 30 or so, I was really running on fumes after a while. I, just, I wanted to get off that book and move on to other things. And my editor kept begging me to stay on it because he had nobody else he could think of could write it mm-hmm. so I stayed on it for probably a little longer than I, I should have but I, I stayed on it and did what I could um so, but think anyway, Transformers was a lot of fun and then uh, Trading Cards was a lot of fun just I just really enjoyed the whole process and working with a whole bunch of marvelous no, no pun intended marvelous artists uh, great artists you know like and we were able to work with um an you know, artist like Jim Lee for an entire set artists like Mark Bagley for an entire set Greg and Tim Hildebrandt for an entire set Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I one of my proudest moments is I gave Greg and Tim Hildebrandt a drawing lesson in how to draw Marvel comics and they listened and they, they and to this day like recently uh Greg came out with some book and he 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 had me qu- quoted in the um he asked me for a quote for the book uh you know, some reprints of his artwork I forget and anyway he, he noted in the book that I taught him how to you know, do do the Marvel style of drawing, you know, when I work with it. And I was just like this punk kid telling these legends how to do something. So I was really happy to work with those guys. They were great. So I had a lot of more you know, wonderful experiences uh, doing a lot of different kinds of projects.
2: One one more Transformers uh, question and then I, I promise we'll start to wrap up. But um
3: you're I so could you do create... this all night. I'm just okay. great. which movie is that from? Come on, Marvel fans. <laughs> uh captain america or, or use all day actually use all day
0: captain america
3: right
0: yeah. yeah boom good one war. good one joe hey, thanks, thanks. It's,
2: it's, yeah. Yeah. thanks. <laughs> um Edmund. so you created all these characters against kind of in a weekend and you got to develop them in you know the comic book were there ones that you know
3: stuck out in your mind as being sort of your favorites to write for My favorite character to write was Blaster, because I wrote some of my best stories around the Blaster character. And whether he became a major character in the show or a big seller in the toys or popular, I don't know. I don't care. I was just trying to write stories. Um, So but some of my best stories concerned him. Now, the problem with writing the book overall was every time I developed some character or characters, you know, in, in what I thought were interesting ways, Hasbro within a six month period would come out with 20 new characters or 30 new characters. And then I was kind of encouraged. And when I say encouraged, I'm being polite um, to introduce those characters into the comic book, which meant I had to squeeze out the other characters that I've mm-hmm. been working with, which is why it was so frustrating after a while to continue writing that book. That's why, like I said, after 30 issues or so, I was ready to jump ship. Um, it was just a real burden to figure out new ways to bring in all these characters and put aside all the continuity I'd developed with other characters and start all, you know, all over again. It was a, it was a a creative challenge for, for a while it was fun, but then after a while it just became a grind. Uh, But anyway, so in answer to your your question, uh, Blaster was probably the character I enjoyed writing the most.
2: I like Blaster a lot too. He was, I wouldn't say he was a significant part of the show, but I think he was one of the cooler ones he was the boombox right
0: he was yes. the good guy boombox yeah man.
2: the good yeah. guy boom
0: the counterpart to sound
2: right yeah. yeah 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 i dug him too
1: well i'll just well, gush for a second because yeah. you guys don't talk transformers i just got to gush about the marvel trading cards because series one of my marvel trading cards are kept in a very safe place in my house that those cards did more for me to to really love comics uh, than anything I'd seen in a long time, so I have a special place and uh when you talk about putting the the uh, stats on the back of series two and series three cards, uh my kids and I play a game where we pick teams using those cards and they have to learn how to read the graph on the back to pick the most powerful team so they think it's the coolest thing that oh look in the back, look he's this strength, but he's not that smart, but he does a speed, and they have to you know pick teams so Knowing that you put that on there, I just think that's the awesomest thing. So when we play now, <laughs> I could drop knowledge to them like, "Hey, you know, I, I spoke to the guy who uh, created this." So thank you for that. It, it, You're welcome. So, let me tell you.
3: Let me tell you one other thing. Okay, so this is this is the promo pack for the X Men set. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Five cards are in here. So and here here's the graph on the back for uh, for Cable. He's one mm-hmm. of the five cards. So there are. If you ever got a hold of the promo pack and compared it to the regular cards. Even though the artwork is identical, there are, there are some differences in the back because these weren't finalized. They had to go out early. And so some of the differences include different graphs for the oh, same wow. character. But Anyway, a little side note. I it's just learned about that myself. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Gee. So these these cool. are the five uh, promos. Mabel, uh, Wolverine, yep. uh, X-Men, Gold Team. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. storm and magneto so, and then you anyway. had to put
1: some cards together and he would get the uh them training in the, dang, the danger room card that, that
3: was my idea too by the
1: way <laughs> that was all that's his brilliant idea because they all fit to the back
3: of a sheet of cards yeah 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 so the guy i worked with at impel kept telling me like, i i knew nothing about the trading card industry other than the fact that when i was a little kid i um I collected baseball cards for a little while, you know, not very long, but for I went through that phase. And so, when uh, we got around to a special projects editor, I got the whole trading card idea jumped, dumped on me. I didn't know my, I didn't know much about the card industry, so I was working with a guy named Ken Baroff at uh, Impel. Yeah. And uh, after a couple of sets of Marvel Universe, he said, "Listen, collectors collect these in these nine-pocket plastic sleeves that go into binders." you really need to like instead of having everything based around multiples of 10 like we'd have you know here's 40 heroes and here's 20 villains and so on you got to make it around groups of nine so for the X-men cards for the first time I said okay cards 91 through 99 will be the danger room yeah and nine card each card feature you know featuring one character and so Jim Lee designed this wonderful nine card image well it's one image that could be easily split up into nine cards with each each ninth of the of the image featured one character prominently and it was great you did a tremendous job oh yeah. yeah that was a beautiful set yeah
2: yeah i, I still can sort of con- even when you showed me those i was sort of conjuring up the the rest of the characters <laughs> and what they looked like
3: <laughs> i'm yeah, su- we just this a, is a very sad sub- memory lane here you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's what our podcast is about basically. There you go. <laughs> uh, it's surprising that
3: such an obscure character like Wolverine made it into the sample set
2: though.
3: <laughs> Actually, if you look at that set, what's surprising is there are certain characters that that we were told by the X-Men officers at the time, this is going to be like the next big character, you know, brand new, you got to feature him in the set. And He's then they buck they disappeared completely after <laughs> <laughs> one of the reasons is because a few of those characters were developed by Jim Lee or Will Sportasio, who then split to do image comics. Yeah. Uh-huh. So once those guys were off, off the scene, nobody else picked up the, those characters and developed them any further.
2: Hmm. Makes sense. I think that happens. That happens. Well, maybe not so much anymore, but that happened more than we realize uh, in terms of characters being introduced and then the creative team changing and sort of getting dropped or Right. Right. Left to follow.
0: So uh before we leave, we'd like to ask, is there anything that you would like to plug?
3: Oh, well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I wish I had something to plug. I wish I could plug the that book I was alluding to, but I can't talk about it yet.
2: <laughs> you you oh. can just say I plug and then just blank the
3: and blank. we'll fill it <laughs> in. <laughs> well, we'll fill it
0: in. I'll do a voiceover. Like, uh, no, the only thing I would say
3: is um I do I do private art commissions based on my comic book work. And um, and so sometimes people want to get in touch with me. The best way to get in touch with me is just look me up on Facebook. I guarantee there's no other Bob asking but me listed on Facebook. And um, and you can send me a message and uh, I can add you to my ever-growing list of commission work that I'll never get to. So uh, <laughs> don't give up hope. There's always a chance I'll get to yours. I don't take money up front, so I'm not gonna not. not I'm not going to just take your money and, and forget about you so um so anyway you know that's about it that's all i really do i don't um i don't i don't work in the comic book industry anymore i don't i'm not writing stories for comics i'm not drawing comics but i do uh private commissions on occasion
0: that's it welcome back boys and girls that was our interview with bob butianski uh i absolutely love talking to him uh to hear about what went into the creation of one of our most beloved toys and in, in comics Uh, was just absolutely amazing and the whole time we were talking to him I knew I'd seen his face someplace Um, it wasn't until afterwards that it clicked in my head that he was in the series the toys that made us on Netflix and I was like this this guy looks familiar I knew and anyway it was really cool experience
1: yeah uh, we were sitting afterwards and I remember we're all saying he should be like a millionaire 10 times over for Everything he did for the Transformers franchise, which has exploded into pop culture, exploded into all parts of society, and it's it's a lot of it's because of the work he did. So I think all of us comic fans and then Transformers fans and just owe him such a debt of thanks for for all the work he did.
2: Yeah, and then on top of all that, uh, two other things that we we learned or that we knew and we got into was uh, Sleepwalker. Just is very cool to hear about the genesis of, of that character. And that there was, I think uh, he was part of a movie, um, you know, an independent movie that uh, recently came out. And then, uh, you know, our old pal, one of our favorites, NFL super pro, he was one of the uh, you know, creative team, the editor. Um, and, you know, anytime we get to talk NFL super Pro, it's just, it's just so sweet. Uh, But that will do it for today. Uh, Keep on all our socials. Um, we got more stuff coming up. Of course, we have another episode on Friday. So uh, stay tuned and we will talk to you later. The Dollar Bin Bandits are Oren Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes released every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all of the socials at Dollarbin Band Bandits on Facebook and Instagram, at DBBandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollarbin Banter Group on Facebook. You can email us at DollarbinBandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing, T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S dot And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.